Which way is catering with Justine and Bruce? Served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. This episode of Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce is brought to you by Brannigan, Inc. For nearly two decades, Brannigan, Inc. has energized brands in the entertainment industry, helping fairs and festivals connect with audiences. Their creative, results-driven marketing approach drives attendance and makes communications fun. Check them out at BranniganInc.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by Spectrum Weather Insurance. Spectrum Weather Insurance provides a variety of rain, heat, severe weather, and event cancellation insurance customized for your specific event. They have the experience and expertise that hundreds of events rely on each year. Visit them at SpectrumWeatherInsurance.com. another episode of which way is catering with justine and bruce and today we have a special guest from again one of our favorite cities he's outside of nashville tennessee it's our good friend joe piver from jeff roberts and associates hey joe hey bruce and justine how are you great welcome to our podcast it is good to be here it's uh it's great to take a few minutes out of what would usually be a busy day doing all the boring stuff and actually have a conversation with two of my favorite people. We've known Joe for a long time. He's actually, we deal with him with a lot of Christian acts. When we start talking about stories from the road and backstage, don't let the Christian moniker fool you. Um, also, I worked with Joe on a uh, big Nick Walenda one of his longest walks ever. And that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So starting off with Joe and Joe is also a professor at a college, correct? Yep. Trevecca Nazarene University here in Nashville. Just finished up my final exam last Monday, put in grades Friday and I'm done for the semester. Are you worried about the next generation? You know, there are a lot of, of really smart kids coming up right now. Nice. I uh, I had 28 in this class and it was a little different this year because we're doing, they had the option to go virtual if they want to. So out of the 28, there were 20 in the class. And out of those 28, there were 20 that were A's and above oh. A's and A pluses. Oh, nice. Okay. And they're doing stuff in my classes that's, that's, that's hard. They're doing math. They're doing uh, deals and settling shows and doing promoter profits and figuring net and figuring all this type of stuff. So it's not real easy for them to do and they're routing tours and doing offers. So for all of them to have that many with A's, I'm excited about them. I wish I could hire three or four of them to be my uh, assistant. Have you ever to, hired to one of your students? Actually, our last three assistants all came from my class. Oh, really? Nice. Well, the reason I ask you that is we have a good friend that that's a professor at Marquette in Milwaukee, and he said that one of his students one day said, you know what, professor, you know what's really hard about your class? All the reading and writing. 
<laughs> he's like, I'm just praying for this next generation. Cause if that's, if that's what we're working with, but I'm glad to hear you have some. Well, ideas. you know, think about it though, for some, it depends on what class it is. I, I've got probably five or six emails. One of a few minutes ago, actually, from one of my students just saying, thank you so much for this class. It was my most, most favorite class I've ever had. And it's because what we do in the live touring world is so different and so fun. I mean, a live show versus figuring out and signing a record deal after having your lawyer read it 17 times and going back and forth. That's not as fun as putting together a show. So mm -hmm. from my standpoint, I've got the most user-friendly class, I guess you would say, because it's all the students love hearing the stories and, and the fact that I'm not a teacher per se, just a person in the business. So when I tell them stuff, they don't read textbooks in my class. Everything is coming straight out of me from what I dealt with that day. So when I talk about routing and how it works and how we're fighting building holds and stuff like that, I'm telling them what I was doing this week. And when we're talking about working deals, I'm talking through and showing them real deals that I'm, I'm working on. So that's, that's a fun side of it, but gosh, I don't have textbooks. And uh, I do require students instead of buying textbooks, because you know how expensive textbooks are, mm -hmm. but they have to go personally to two concerts as part of the curriculum. So that, that probably makes me more fun than reading textbooks and doing all that stuff. Well, that, well, that's great because uh, Justine will remember this. We had a student who was one of our interns and he came from a college in Minnesota it was, it was a whole program on events and putting on shows. And we were thinking, wow, this is going to be a great addition to our team. Like Someone, he's just going to knock it out of the park. Just park, be awesome. Yeah. He's going to be a great intern and everything. What a dud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the only thing he really ever did other than I don't know, eat all the catering backstage, but you know, he, in his book of notes, he wrote everything down. It's just that it never got to the execution part, Yeah. but he mm. wrote a great, he drew a great diagram of our amphitheater <laughs> almost to a T, but that was about it. So I hope your students do a lot better than that. So going on what you just said um, about, stories and things like that. I want you to share some of those with us that you share with your students. But I wanted to ask, what is the biggest hang up when it comes to an artist contract, whether it's just the, the terms, uh, the hospitality rider, which we'd like to hear about that, or the technical rider, where's the biggest hang up with your students when it comes down to uh, a contract with the artist? So are you saying more with the students themselves learning about that type of stuff? Or are you saying with me just sending a contract and trying to get a date done in regular world? Both. Both. You know, what's, what's hard for the students to see and understand is the things that we can't teach them. Um, there's an amazing movie called Mr. Holland's Opus. You ever seen Mr. Holland's Opus? Mm -hmm. There's a scene in there where the very beginning, Mr. Holland's teaching and there's a young girl in there practicing clarinet and she is doing really bad. And Mr. Holland says, give it up. So and so whatever her name is. And she starts crying. And Mr. Holland goes over just like, I didn't mean give it up. I just mean for today. And then Mr. Holland goes on to say, you know what? 
music. It's about heart. It's about feeling. It's about moving people. It's about something beautiful. I can teach you notes on the page. I can't teach you the other stuff. And that's one thing that I've lived by as being an agent and uh, working the deals for, for people that are agents and people that like you guys on the other side of the page, there's a certain amount of stuff of heart and passion and feeling the natural things that come. That's the hardest thing for these students to get is that side of things. Like you said, that guy that was your intern read the books and knew it all perfectly on paper, but paper doesn't play a show. So when I'm trying to explain to the students the contracts and stuff, you know, of course, working all the fine details out because um, you just got to be detailed on the front side. And then going into the aspects of what holds them up, it's just making sure those details are perfect. Because when you get an offer from someone, say if I got an offer from you guys, or if I got an offer from the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo, if I got an offer from a promoter out of California, everybody's offers look 100% different. Nobody's are uniform. So then I've got to make sure I'm not missing a single crossing of a T or dotting on an I on those. Um, and as long as we're getting all that up front, most of the time artists, especially in the world we're in now, they're not going to blow stuff up over little things. They're going to flex. Um, I do have some artists that won't flex on production issues. And that sometimes can be, you know, a $20,000, $50,000 difference in having the production set up the way uh, the artist wants to do it. So right now, man, everybody's being so good and so flexible to make things work. And I would go as far as when they're doing tests and when they're looking at offers and stuff for the class, I would hide little messages inside of a two-page offer that said, when you send this in to me, tell me your favorite movie. And if they didn't send me their favorite movie, I know they didn't pay the details. And if they didn't pay the details, that means that offer will go to the artist incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it goes back to the brown M always always goes back to the brown M Ms with Van Halen. Right. We we had that same conversation mm -hmm. with somebody else about mm -hmm. reading the contract and the brown M Ms or mm -hmm. whatever. And Christian artist standpoint, who's got the the goofiest thing in their hospitality rider that does that to make sure people read that read that contract. I mean, we've had Justine and I have had contracts, you know, my favorite is requesting a puppy to play with for the day. Yeah, it's like wow. a puppy or a small <laughs> animal to play with for the entire day. So my whole thing was, okay, I've read that, but you're going to play for it for what, five minutes, and then who's going to walk it, who's going <laughs> to feed it, who's gonna, you know, do all of that kind of stuff. But do you have anybody because you work with some some of our favorites, you work with casting crowns, you work with for king and country and but anyway, go back to the the hospitality writer. Do you have any acts that you can share that have put goofy things in their rider just to see if people are paying attention? Not really mine. Like I, I've got several artists that'll put things in there to the extent like I knew uh, one artist uh, tour manager would always put this in his writer, which whichever artist he was working with somewhere in the, the production part, he would ask for a uh, wall street journal on his desk that morning from that day. And then 10, 15 pages later, 
in the middle of a, of a paragraph, he'd ask for one of your local newspapers also um, in it. And then somewhere else, he would ask, ask for a certain brand of, of coffee. And he would put it in the three different parts. So, okay, I know if I got to my desk in USA or, or Wall Street Journal was there, the production part of the writer was all taken care of. And I know if this was there, this part, and I know if the coffee was there, all the other parts were good. So he would put different things in different places that would let him know, okay, they read this part or they read um, that part, but not anything goofy. You know, I did run into a promoter in Texas last year that I called him and said, Hey, what are you doing? He's like, you're not going to believe it. I'm like, well, what are you just, what are you doing? He's like, I'm renting a tiger. <laughs> and I, I said, what do you mean you're, you're renting a tiger? He's like, I'm at the local zoo. And I'm trying to convince them to let me rent a tiger because the artist wants a tiger in a cage on the stage during their performance. And they're a comedy, uh, a comedian. So they wanted a tiger. So he went and got, you know, had, had got some um, concrete statue tigers. It's like, hey, this is great. And they're like, no, no, you got to be alive. <laughs> wow. So he had to go work out a deal with that and the, and the, and he got a tiger and the tiger sat in a cage on the stage the whole night with the comedian. That's probably the wildest so weird. one I've heard. So what, what was the point of it just because, or was it part of the act? I think it was wild factor to the crowd, mm. you know, Hey, there's a tiger on the stage and it's part of, you know, he never addressed the tiger or, you know, <laughs> did anything with the tiger. The tiger's just on, a, on the stage in a, in a cage. Did you have to kind of throw a slab of meat every <laughs> like 15 minutes? <laughs> yeah, I asked him about that. Uh, but Or an unruly that, member of the crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're getting fed to the tiger. The tiger. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's the super VIP experience. Yeah, that, yeah, you feel every... Yeah, you feel it. <laughs> Wouldn't that increase your like liability insurance? Like all of a sudden you got a dangerous live animal within a vicinity of like your audience. And the cage is doesn't like what look, if it gets out? Right. Just <laughs> for kicks and giggles. Yeah. yeah, you know, I guess that would be something we could ask our buddy Nick, uh, Nick Walenda. With all his years traveling in the circus, I wonder if that does. Um, it, it definitely would increase liability, but um, go back to Siegfried and Roy. Remember all the tigers? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And those tigers, you know, from they're like basically on leashes. They're not even on cages. They're walking around that stage on leashes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of but, people that take care of those animals, they're nicknamed Stumpy. <laughs> That was a pity chuckle. Do you hear Joe's pity chuckle? I know. Have you ever encountered any of your artists that have any like strange pre-show rituals or superstitions or, you know, Zach Williams always wears the same socks? No. You know, I've got uh, several artists that I, one that I won't want name names that has this really weird chanting they do before mm. the stage and that's part of how their vocal coaches warm them up but like literally when they started it's like i'm out 
I'll be back. It's, it's so loud. <laughs> and um, the whole band will do it. So like there's four or five people in there doing this chant type thing. And every time it starts, I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. Um, but no, you know, I don't have a lot of, of superstitious people. You know, I've got, um, you know, for King and Country guys, before they get ready for every show, they're, they're kind of getting pumped. They've got music playing in the background and they're getting, because from the second their show starts, it's not like a lot of artists, they don't walk on stage and just start playing. When they hit the stage, it is a full boom, bam, everything's going crazy from second one. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you, you can't just walk into that. So the two, three minutes, four minutes before they're getting on stage, you can see them mentally just standing, you know, that's, that's, that's when you don't talk, you just watch them and watch their heads get ready and they start getting excited. And then when they hit the stage, it's bam, there's the big show. And then they never stop for, um, for 90 minutes, but I've never seen them do the same thing over and over, you know, it's always, it's always just a little bit different. When you're on the road with these acts, <clears throat> whether it be, Skillet for King and Country, Casting Crown, Zach Williams, all of those. What is the weirdest backstage proposal you received? You know, when people come up to you and, oh, I'll do anything to get backstage. Do you, has anybody ever said something to you and you kind of turn your head and think, you know, this is a Christian show? You know, we, we've got, there are some rabid fans in the Christian music space. And the reason being is that the, the faith-based artist music really connects with people on a heart level. Um, you know, it's life-changing to, to some people. And the biggest thing that we find with fans in the Christian music side is they want to tell their story. And they want to tell their story to the person that wrote the song. And they will literally, there are some crazy rabbit ones that will do anything to get in there to tell them their story and how much their, their song meant to them. Like and because what? it's on heart level, it's so much more personable um, than it is. But doing anything crazy, you know, I've caught a lot of people lying just to try to get through. And, hey, I'm, you know, so-and-so's aunt. Um mm -hmm. I did. There was a guy in Texas a few years ago. He wow, um, Texas again. <laughs> yeah, he is. Everybody knows him. He shows up at every Christian show within a hundred miles, and he always is trying his best to get backstage. So one night he was playing at a theater. Uh, one of my artists is playing at a theater, sold out show. It's nineteen hundred and some seats. Dude shows up that tries to get backstage. Nobody lets him. Numerous times. Show ends. He goes up to the security guard that doesn't know him and says, hey, I accidentally dropped my cell phone into the orchestra pit. Hmm. So they say, okay, we'll tell you what, come walk with us around here and we'll send somebody down there to get it. So what happens is that person uses his key to unlock the door. They ask him to wait right here. He immediately starts walking on into the dressing room with his phone. So then they come back and try to find him. There's no phone in the pit and there's dude, um, you know, dude standing in the doorway of the artist dressing room. And I, by the time I get there and realize dude's there, the artist is there. The artist is like, get me the heck out of here. And dude's trying to get a picture in the dressing room. 
and again happens at almost every single show mm. he's he's at and um now that's mm. interesting because christian artists yeah have the same problems as a rock artist country artist mm -hmm. you know people think that it's a christian show so everybody's on their best behavior but really yeah, they are not <laughs> no nope, you know a, that's the thing which you is know, too that, bad yeah you, you would think there's going to be bad apples in every single crowd, no matter how yeah. many apples we put in the room from whatever tree, you sort them and sort them and sort them. And there's always going to be one mm -hmm. that's, that's messed up. Yeah. That, it just, it happens everywhere. Um, and, you know, especially like we, we, you know, most of the, all the artists I work with are faith based artists, but I've got artists that are running in both worlds, you know, like for King and country and like skillet. You know, Skillet, Skillet will go play a date on one of the biggest mainstream rock festivals in the world. And the next date, they'll go headline a Christian music festival. Okay. Well, on a lighter note, yeah. I want to ask you, uh, so Newsboys, they have the drummer that has the drum kit that spins. Yep. Have you ever had anybody in the crowd come up to you or have them ask the band if he they could take a spin on the drum kit? <laughs> you know, I worked with Newsboys for right at five years, and it was kind of in the pinnacle of their career when they were doing the biggest numbers they were doing. And they are some of the nicest piece, people in the world, especially Duncan, who is the drummer. You know, he won't, you know, he will be gracious to the last person that stands there to talk to him. Um, he's just such a sweet person, but yeah, there, I remember times in the past, Hey, do you think I could ride that? Um, no, because <laughs> um, it's not, you know, that was not just about go back to insurance. Right. Um, you know, I I've sat on that thing before I was going to ride it one time and I'm like, Nope, I'm not doing this because Hey, you, it, it's not just, strapping yourself in you've got to be in shape to hold yourself in mm -hmm. the way that things turn it's you know it's it's a seat belt um on the mm. on the thing and for people that have not seen it the, the drum set goes up and turns sideways and spins and it's I'd not be barfing on the drum set oh, I, <laughs> I mean you just talking about that uh, i'm ready to hurl yeah and duncan is ripped i mean he looks like he'd be in a you know he could win a weightlifting championship and you know my the way it would work for me if if we'd have got completely side the the first time I I would have slipped out fallen onto the ground they had taken me to the hospital then I'd have been the laughing stock of all of Nashville for being the agent <laughs> that tried to ride the flying drum machine. You aren't now. Depends on the day. <laughs> not in not in our eyes. Not in our yes, of course. Yeah, the, the 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 old joke on being an agent is you're only as good as your last date. Mm. So. I'm on a good run right now, so I should be in good graces for another three to four days. Hours. Days. <laughs> yeah. <said> days. Hours. <laughs> okay, I got one, Joe. So out of all of the shows you've ever seen, what, what's what been, give me a couple shows, or if you got one off the top of your head, what's been like you're, you're sitting in the crowd and you're like tearing up like, oh my God, this is the best show ever. And it doesn't have to be. A Christian yeah, it doesn't show. have to I be mean, one of your shows kind of or one of your, your just yeah, you're sitting in and you're like, oh shit, man, Dave Grohl is just the man. Like, give me your favorite show. Yeah. So there's a couple. The first one is a vicious show I booked um several years ago with Casting Crowns at Cynthia Wood Pavich uh, Mitchell Pavilion in Houston. We went to the big building, 
16,000 seats at the amphitheater and we sold it out. And it was at that time, it was the biggest show on the tour, biggest show probably in Casting Crowns in several years. And um, halfway through that show, I go out to the back and I'm looking and 16,000 people on a beautiful night outdoors in Texas with a big giant full moon behind the stage. It just hit me. And I'm like, okay, you know, I am not on this stage. And I really, um, you know, you, you, from the standpoint of all of us that work back scenes, we're backstage because we want to be backstage because we are not called to be on the stage. And that was one of the highest moments of my life to see that crowd and know, okay, all of this started with a phone call, actually an email probably, uh, of me emailing the building asking if they're even open on this date. And then starting the process of, all right, you're open. I've got it. Put me a hold. I'll call the promoter, talk to the promoter, work out the deal, work with the manager, get the deal, get it locked. Everything's set, put it on sale. It's got to sell. Watching ticket counts every week go up and up and up, not just making the show good, but actually selling the show out at 16,000 was, um, it was, it was beautiful. One of the things though, for me, um, when I was young, I live in rural North Carolina, about three miles from the ocean. One day, my dad brings me a cassette tape from the yard. Someone had thrown out Billy Joel Greatest Hits Volume 1. What? They, <laughs> they threw it out of their car, and it landed in our driveway. My dad finds it and hands it to me. And uh, so I start listening to it. It's the first time I ever heard Billy Joel to which becomes my favorite artist of all time. I've seen him nine times now. <laughs> and um, it's what got, I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking to you today if that cassette tape wouldn't have fallen out at my house. But a few years ago, I was working with an artist who's a manager and, and one of their acts was playing Bonnaroo. And they were playing in the afternoon at three o'clock and Billy Joel was headlining Bonnaroo that night. So I've got an artist's pass and um, it's getting ready to be the show. And I'm going to go walk out and get in the, the pit section at the front so I can be front row. And as I'm walking by, a guy says, well, the security guy goes, you're going this way or that way. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, when it comes to uh, your pass, you can, the one you have, because it's a main stage artist pass, you can go on the stage or you can go out to the pit. And I'm like, I'm gonna go on stage. So <laughs> that's and, where uh, I'm going. Yeah, that's where I'm going. I start heading up there, and there's a uh, a riser behind uh, the monitor world, and they said, "Yeah, if you want to go stand on top of that riser, you can, and just stand right over the monitor board and and see the whole access." So Billy walks out, comes in. He's doing his pre-show stuff, and I'm sitting there thinking, everything I've ever accomplished in life in the music world is because that man's cassette got thrown out the window and landed. And my dad saw it before he hit it with the lawnmower. <laughs> and um, Billy walks on stage and they, they start the first song and I just lose it. And it hits me with so much emotion, so much gratitude, you know, so thankful. And, you know, someone like Billy has no clue that a random person throwing his cassette tape out of the window led to me eventually being here working currently with 50 artists, um, you know, 
I look at my office right now and I, and I see gold and platinum records hanging up and that's saying nothing about me. That's about my artist. But none of that is there if somebody wouldn't have thrown out Billy Joel's cassette tape onto mm-hmm. the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you took that, when you took that cassette tape and put it, oh, oh look at that. awesome. <laughs> so why we're on is that yeah. Joe is showing us a framed, uh, kind of like a shadow box of, of the, the actual cassette yeah. tape. And so what, when you threw the cassette tape into your cassette player, what was the first song that came on? Piano man. Oh, yeah. there you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and, and I, I have to agree with you on that whole thought because I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be sitting in my basement as a kid listening to they're called records for you younger generation, but listening to albums, reading the liner notes, thinking at some point I would actually be meeting, talking, working with all of these talented musicians at some point in my life. I would have never, I would have never thought of that. It just shows you never know where inspiration is going to come from. Right. And you know, when opportunity knocks and, and that, that's why, you know, I'm so excited, you know, when you asked earlier about this generation of students, some of these kids have, have stories like mine, but mm-hmm. this is why I want to do this. I saw this artist when I was five and they looked me in the eye during a set and said something and it's changed my life and I want to change people's lives because, hey, whether, you know, with me working in the faith-based world, people say say a lot, you know, the faith-based music can change people's lives. Well, that's true, but you know what? So can mainstream music. Mm-hmm. Um, all types of music can change people's lives. Mm-hmm. And that's the business we're in. You know, the reason I got um, decided to follow the career of, of faith-based artists is, is not um, too deep, but to the point of I saw people hurting. And I wanted to do good things for them. And music lifts me up. And I'm not talking just faith-based. Hey, if I am in a funk, I'll go put on The Greatest Showman or I'll put on Pink or I'll put on The Avid Brothers and that type of stuff. Mumford and Sons. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, my, uh, that's my time. Well, you know what the uh, opposite of this story is, is someone's like, oh, man, I lost my cassette out my window and that just ruined everything. Yep, too bad. Right? There's someone on mm-hmm. the other end like, oh, man, I lost my tape. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet where I grew up that that somebody's mama grabbed the cassette tape after listening to it and saying, that's devil music and rolled the window yeah. down and threw it right out the window. Right. That's more, that's more than likely what happened. That's funny you bring up that, that story about Billy Joel because it takes me back to my Elton John story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because so when I worked for the record label, one of our artists had a manager that also managed Elton John. And it was a time when Elton John and Billy Joel were touring together. So mm-hmm. I asked for some tickets and we got tickets for the Rosemont Horizon in Rosemont, Illinois, um, which is now called, I think, the Allstate Arena. 
but it was the Elton John, Billy Joel show. So I go to the will call window and I pick up our tickets and you know how you look at them and you know, you're, you're happy to be going to the show and they're comp tickets, of course. So if it's free, it's for me. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at it and all of a sudden I'm looking, it's like, what, what section is EJ? I mean, EJ, you know, it's like, like nose okay. bleeds. Yeah. I'm like, okay. You know, cause usually they're AAA, BBB, you know, the, th that's how it goes. So we go in and all of a sudden I give them my ticket and they're like, oh yeah, just go down there. Okay. Go to the next. Oh yeah. Just keep going. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Just keep going. Wow. Really? You know, so all of a sudden we're down on the floor stage right right on the corner and i'm either gonna go into the the floor somewhere but this guy goes oh no you're over here so stage right there's a little maybe a 50 seat section right by elton john i was in elton john's section ej ej <laughs> nice we were like the front row where I'm like putting my beer up on the stage and there's Elton John. Wow. And it, I, was, it was I, outstanding. Our general manager here is a huge Coldplay fan. And I'm a fan of Coldplay, but I'd, I'd never seen him live. And we were we went to mm -hmm. Dallas. I'm a fan. Just, just I'm, a fan. A fan. I'm a fan. Are you? Mm -hmm. well, you'll love this. We went to Dallas for, for King and Country. They're playing with the Texas Rangers. But it was a noon game, so we had to go in on Saturday night, so we'd be there in time for everything on Sunday. So as we booked the, the booked the flights and everything, we find out Coldplay is playing Cowboy Stadium Saturday night. So I called friends at the, the Rangers and said, "Hey, can you get us any tickets?" And they got us a couple. You know, we paid for them, but they were pulled. They were pulled. So you know, we I don't know where they're at. I'm like, just get me in because my it's my boss. He's a big fan. This is just going to mean a lot to him. So we get there and it's just like that. We keep going and we keep going. And this is a hundred thousand people in the stadium and we keep going and we keep going all the way up to the fourth row. Nice. And, you know, for me as a fan, I was like, oh, this would be great to see the show. And I'm looking over at my boss and like, he's pure shaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, this is the greatest, this is the greatest night in history. So from that day on, uh, I not done anything that would get me fired. Right. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I saw, I saw a uh, good, uh, good takeaway from that. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got them good seats. So. Yeah. Life lesson. Exactly. I saw a cold play in St. Paul, probably 2005, maybe. And to this day, it's still one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. Wow. It was so good. Several years ago, we had for King and country at the rodeo. And this is one of the most, awkward situations I've ever been in. So we get, they, we're at the Grammys with for King for a couple of days. And then there's no point in flying from LA to Nashville to spend six hours at home to then get back on a plane and go to, to uh, San Antonio. So we stay in LA and then me and three of the record label guys all fly to San Antonio for Mallory's show. And the runner picks us up and the runner drops us off. We get out the van and there's literally nobody in this building where we're at except a whole bunch of bulls. And then there's a couple guys that are Texas Rangers on the other side of the area, like down the hall. So they drop us off. We don't have our credentials yet. We have nothing. 
And then here comes the Texas Ranger guys. And they are intimidating to look at. Oh, yeah. They've got hats, their boots, and their guns. And I'm like, we're getting ready to get thrown out of here. And um, and then some. And then some. <laughs> so we stand there, and they come walking up to us. And one guy looks, the record label guy, who's the president of the label, right in the eye. And he goes, you guys are with the band, aren't you? And one of the guys said, yeah, what makes you uh, think that? He looked him down, looked him up. Up, he said, "We don't wear jeans that tight around here." (laughs) (laughs) That's that's my favorite story from visiting the San Antonio rodeo and our our buddy Mallory. Yeah, that's That's awesome. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I remember Bruce's execution skills going really bad one time. Um, (laughs) Whenever we did Nick Walinda at the fair. And Nick come off the wire and Nick gets in the truck with Bruce and Bruce is driving him up to the main stage. Bruce backs up and runs over the wire. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. Because the wire was longer than the walks and it was coming all right. the way down. It was coming all up. the way down. And Bruce was so nervous. I was. Hey, you don't, you know, Nick is the only artist any of us work with that literally his life is at stake when he's on stage and Bruce was nervous. I was nervous. And, and Nick comes down and he gets in the car with Bruce and Bruce backs right up, runs over the wire. (laughs) And that was the uh, conclusion of the event. Well, that, that day, I mean, we always talk about that, but you know how Nick would always say, well, don't worry, Bruce, I know how to fall and I know how to grab the rope. Oh no. The minute he was up on there, all the blood just rushed right down to my feet. I was a nervous wreck. Yep. That was, uh, and the fact that it was so long and, you know, Nick knows how to play to the crowd. He's one of the best performers in the world. So he's getting up there talking and you can, and to this day, I don't know if he's really getting winded or if he's just acting like he's getting winded, but he stops and takes a rest because I remember the wire had bent in the center Mm-hmm. So instead of just walking the longest walk, he was walking the longest walk and then walking four stories back up Ooh. to get to the end. And I'm sitting there the whole time thinking, oh, please just get over there. Just get over there. Right. And he kept, and I didn't know if he was doing that for effect because he was like, well, I got to put my earpiece back in. So he would kneel down, you know, and stop and start. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be a train wreck. Yeah. I mean, he's the, he's the only performer that not only had everybody in the audience on the edge of their seats, had all of us involved in putting it together on the edge of our seats. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that was, uh, I'll have to say that was one of the best experiences I've had putting that kind of unusual event together. And that, that happened between a conversation with Joe and I. Mm-hmm. It was just, and it was just like one of those out of the blue conversations where Joe called me to talk about Nick Walenda for, I think like a speaking engagement or something. And then we got on the topic of, I just saw Nick on TV doing a walk. I can't remember what it was. And I'm like, Chicago, I I called you the day after the Chicago walk, the the Chicago walk was on uh, discovery channel. I believe. Yes. And, and television. Right. And then we started talking about doing Nick Walenda's longest walk ever. And what would it take to do that? And 
it was a that was a great experience mm -hmm. yeah i still have the t-shirt i sir i sure do i got the uh lanyard next grip <laughs> yep that was a that was a good night that was that was a lot of fun thank you guys for having me love and miss both of you y'all right. be good all right always we'll talk to you Thank soon you and uh love you love you love you joe bye. bye thanks for joining us backstage and visit justine and i at varietyattractions.com get your backstage pass and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts which way is catering with justine and bruce served up by variety attractions celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence Find out how you can take advantage of their expertise in consulting, talent buying, production, and marketing services for your next event at varietyattractions.com.